everybody. Welcome back to the one, the only, me slapping K-pop podcast. It is your girl, Maria, and I am here with Kayla. Hello, hello. And Sammy. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and we are here to, once again, talk about Asian books, but with a twist. With a twist. From authors who originally are not from America or grew up not a significant amount from America. And I think these books were also originally written in yeah, another language say, originally the, too. Uh, the big thing with this is all of them were translated Our into English. Yes. yes. From an Asian author, from a, from yes. a, a language that was not English. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So this is the second part of our, I, I guess at least Kayla and Sammy's apology tour. Our apology tour for the <laughs> terrible <laughs> books we read last year, and also Jessica's and terrible books on. from the year before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot apology. Of, Look, we don't do apologies books. often, but for literature. Yep, yep. Apparently, we apparently, do. and it's like I don't like I don't read books. I don't read, I don't read outside of this podcast. Like I do not read for fun. Like I, most of the books yeah, I've me, read the past really. years, I've read for this podcast. The most I read is I like reading like horror novels, but like for the most right, part, right. I don't read either. Well, so this we this episode reading. we do have like a running theme between all of our yes. books. Is like we got like a very like psychological thriller horror esque vibe going on with all of the books yes, we yes, have, yes. which yes, I think yes, is a yes. genre all of us enjoy anyway. Oh, so yeah. uh, that's also, also very fun. I also think that these are also shorter novels than our, our much shorter. Mine is way yeah, shorter. a lot mine shorter. Is, mine is shorter because let me check the page count on my other one. I think mine's though is about the same, roughly. Mine's, like in that, mine is less than half the length. So my other my other book was four hundred and fifty four pages. This one is three hundred thirty six, like a hundred page shorter. Yeah. Also, my other book was like a young adult fantasy, so it wasn't a very hard yeah. four hundred and fifty pages to read. So yeah, mine was five hundred forty five. This is two thirty four. Mm-hmm. I got a lot. I, Much also, better. The other one had very small text. Oh this yeah. This one is a reasonable, the reasonable, just like a reasonable size text. Yes. And also, okay, actually, th- this book is actually a little bit shorter because this one is a because the book I read previously was like I think the I think it's like four hundred eight, and then the other book's like three hundred. Uh, if I can get there quickly, three hundred twenty. Three, four, technically, yeah. yeah, yeah so we all have short, also, all have shorter books have shorter this time. Books. And also, yeah. you also, Maria, you also read like the lightest of all of our novels for the last video. I mean, I mean, well, still, still four hundred pages, still but 400 like pages, but in terms a contemporary, of, like, you it's a contemporary <laughs> as a thing of like, which is always a little. Most contemporaries are shorter than fantasy novels. I mean, the fact that it was four hundred something now, I'm so that also sounds that. very long for that book. Yeah, for a contemporary novel, that's a bigger contemporary novel. I'm yes, not gonna lie, yes, 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 but yes, um, yes. anyways. So, anyways, shall we go through our spoiler-free section? Spoiler-free section. Do you want to go in reverse order this time, just for funsies? Sure. So, so I Sammy's read first, Confessions by uh, Kame Minato. Honestly speaking, spoiler-free because this book is like it's only six chapters, and. Each chapter is told from a different perspective, and it is one of my favorite books I think I've ever read. I love this book. I thought this book oh, was wow. twist on twist on twist on twist. 
So essentially, it, it centers around each chapter is about a different person is uh from the perspective of a different person. But to be honest, essentially, it is a a story about a school teacher who gets revenge on the people who killed her daughter. So her like four year old daughter uh was had an accident on the grounds of the school. This was caused by somebody. I won't reveal who it is. And I'm not going to get into spoilers because I do think that even the first chapter of this book is a, could be a like short story hmm. and would be perfect. Like leaves you with, isn't a complete story, but like leaves you with elements, leaves you with thoughts and it would be perfect as like a little short story. So I don't even want to spoil the first chapter, but that is essentially the plot of this book and it is great. And I loved it. That's like honestly, I don't want to reveal anything. The first chapter, which is the only one I'm going to talk about, because it goes it goes wild after that. Uh huh. Absolutely insane. Is told in essentially a lecture format. Like there, the rest of the book goes into a normal literary format of like with like you know text and like perspectives and like you get people's thoughts and you everything else, and you get quotes and everything. The entire first chapter is this uh teacher's monologue about what happened to her about her life what happened to her daughter everything else there is no breaks you do not get any internal monologue you don't get anything it is just a lecture she is giving to this group of uh students and it is wild but that is all i will say for now i highly recommend it. everybody should read it it's only like it is a short read you can get through it in like a day so uh maria your turn? Yeah, I guess I'm going second again. <laughs> well, that's what happens when there's three of well, us. Going <laughs> <first>. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I I'm thinking about if we're doing a reverse, I'm just like, all right, I guess oh, I'm Pollen Drum. You're then, still going right? second. Oh, well. I'm still going second. Yeah. All right. So, my book is called, translated title, of course, is The Elephant. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Why am I saying elephant? Jesus Christ. The Graveyard Apartment, a novel, aka The Graveyard Apartment. This book is by Mari I I Ma, Mariko was it Koike I think it's Koike Mariko technically but like if you say it in Japanese but Mariko Koike Koike I think it's Japanese I'm sensing a pattern here Japanese Japanese horror thriller um yeah yeah basically the premise of this is this book was actually originally published in 1986 but the story of it takes place in 1987 over the Span of like several months, about roughly half a year, I'm gonna say. Uh, basically, it's basically uh, about a young family. They move into what they believe to be a really great place to live, all nice, even though it's right next to an old ancient graveyard. Because I guess this was a graveyard where, for a time period back in I think the Taisho era, they didn't cremate bodies; they buried them. So I guess that makes this graveyard. Uh, even though it looks nice in the landscape and stuff, it's next to a graveyard. And they think they sort of start to realize that some weird things are starting to happen at this place. And it's, you know, even though it's very idyllic and nice, there still isn't a ton of people that live here in this apartment. You know, it's still kind of abandoned and weird. And they're noticing a lot of more sinister, evil things happening. And yeah, of course, if I go through the whole plot, it'd be spoiling the plot. Because it's basically a timeline of just... Really me- messed up shit after messed up shit happening that's creepy and whatnot, you know, all that jazz. 
so yeah um i thought it was pretty suspenseful in a way it didn't end like how i was expecting it to end but like also i kind of get how it was made to end if it makes sense uh so not really surprising but there's actually a lot more interpersonal stuff as well going on in the story that i think is a little bit more that was a little bit more surprising to me um it definitely puts you in the mindset of the 80s and stuff like that and um yeah, it definitely builds up suspense over time. It's pretty, it's like you could definitely go through this book and be like, okay, red flag, red flag, red flag. This building is weird. This area is weird, you know. But yeah, a pretty solid story. Um, and yeah, I find it interesting too that the choice of the um, chapters of this book were made to be like specific day, you know, month, day, and then year was the name of each chapter basically and sometimes it would say specifically morning or afternoon or stuff like that you know it's depth it's very much horror uh detective fiction i the 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 way it's described on amazon says detective fiction and i guess without going into much i'd be like i guess but like detective fiction without the detectives i guess if that makes like whoever's doing the investigating they ain't like policemen or anything like that you know what i mean yeah, but that's you don't have to be a policeman in detective fiction. Yeah. You just have to be investigating something. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, pretty much. But like I, I feel like once people say anybody detect- can be a detective. Anyone can be, but I think some people probably think it's like, oh, it's an actual policewoman. It's like, no, not really, but there is investigating no, going it's, on. It's whoever whoever wants to investigate can investigate. Yeah. We don't we but don't yeah, detective fiction and horror writing I'd say is pretty accurate for this book. But yeah, it's a solid book. I don't usually read horror books like this so yeah it was i'd say it was actually a pretty easy uh read through honestly i i I'm, I'm stuck with easy read throughs i guess but like yeah it was build up suspense you know it ended in a way i wasn't necessarily expecting but like it makes sense for this story why it would end that way and then uh yeah i'd recommend it it's shorter than the previous book i talked about and um yeah it's it's one of those stories it's just kind of like yeah yeah pretty solid so, uh, Kayla. Kayla. So, I read the book Seven Years of Darkness by Yu Jung Jung. She is a Korean author. Um, from all of the reviews I've read of this book, she seems to be one of the, like, top writers of, like, psychological thrillers in South Korea, which is really cool, and that's what initially drew me to this book to begin with. This is about, this is essentially, like, a, like, a murder thriller type thing like I could very easily see this as like a crime thriller suspense k-drama type situation essentially what happens is that there is a young girl who is found dead essentially in the reservoir like a dam reservoir in a South Korean remote village and then it goes through the story of mostly these three men who are all kind of involved in it in various ways and situation and it kind of goes through all three of their lives and what they're doing and how they relate to what happened and it also deals with this kid named Sowon. Sowon is the son of the man who eventually ends up being convicted of the murder of this girl and is in prison and it also follows him seven years after this murder takes place as he is also sort of uncovering what was going on with his dad and the people around him in that night and sort of how that entire tragedy sort of continues to follow him like all of these years after that it happened and his dad has already been convicted and in prison and stuff like that. I will say that a lot of it is told in like a um 
It's not a flashback, because what happens is that his son finds this, like, manuscript of a novel that's being written by one of these three men who have been involved in everything. And he's sort of been writing this tale, trying to also unfold from himself everything that happened um, in that day and week that followed. So he, it's it's mostly the son who is reading about these events that happened in the past. And then occasionally we get stuff of him of what's happening in the present and how this entire situation is still affecting him and his life and everything. But it's mostly him reading this manuscript that this other man has written about the events that took place seven years ago. It's very good. Um, very easy to follow as well. It's not very trick. It's not trying to trick you at any point in time. It kind of sets up these characters and is telling you like, exactly the events that happened it's not it's a thriller in the way that it's like very suspenseful and there was a murder but it's not a thriller in the way that there's like a big plot twist coming you can kind of piece together logically what was gonna happen at that point um to begin with but it's more so of the way that the whole story unfolds that i would say makes it a thriller very good i enjoyed it a lot all right so spoilers spoiler time spoiler time okay I think book. that's like the big thing with these books is because they're so they're all like mystery thrillers that it's like you can't really you can't there's anything. not much to say about but, it so other I would recommend going to read all of these before you listen to this section because yes. we're about to spoil the shit out of spoil all of them. the plot of the entire well we're gonna books. I'm I mean we're gonna be spoiled of each other's books now so that's fair yeah, but <laughs> this we you knew know this going into this we knew we knew this was gonna happen we knew this was gonna happen yeah all right so confessions so this book begins with a great chapter so essentially this teacher is the last day of school and she is just talking to her group of like middle school students i think they're in middle school they're gonna stay in middle school so it's not even like it's their last year of middle school they're just like i think they're in like sixth seventh grade so she essentially talks about how she's retiring because and she's not moving to another school she's just full-on retiring from being a teacher after her daughter died her daughter uh, fell, she's a single mother, and her daughter, uh, the police uh, have concluded, fell into the pool at school, and she's about four, so she doesn't even, she was just there because her mom was working late, and she would sometimes just stay in the classroom and just be, she was fine. And so the kid fell into the pool and apparently drowned. And then the teacher goes into this whole, like, it's a very long monologue talking about how uh, she's a teacher and uh, the whole thing about being a teacher for your students and how some students are very ungrateful. And, like, it's not in a mean way. She's just talking about the realities of being a teacher in society and how students expect so much of you, but, like, our little shit's back. And that's a fact. Kids are shits. It's even worse today, from what I've heard. They're little shits. Years. From what um, I've heard in recent so years, I've heard it's even worse. Oh, and yeah. then, so essentially, she talks about how her daughter did not drown. Her daughter was murdered by, in this first chapter, she refers to them as student A and student B. And so she talks about student A and student B and how student A is a psychopathic little shit who made a shocking coin purse and at some point threatened her with it. Because she because she always thought of him as, like, a very unnerving child. Because he was a very unnerving child. And she threatened him because it was, like, a little shock purse. And, uh, so, apparently they lurk her and those two boys They don't even- she doesn't even refer to them as boys. She refers to them as students, but I'm just gonna say they're boys. They're, of course they're boys. Uh, they lured her daughter out to the pool- 
and then gave her this little coin purse and it shocked her. And apparently it quote unquote shocked her unconscious. And then the boy A just left and was like, haha. And boy B to cover it up because he's like, oh shit, we killed a girl. And he got scared because I don't, because apparently he wasn't as familiar with the whole situation through the kid in the pool. And so essentially she doesn't trust that the law punish would actually do anything to these kids because like, why would it like nothing happened? The police concluded that it was an accident. Nothing's going to happen. So she, uh, at some point she also talks about why she's a single parent. So the guy that she was with, they were very much in love. They were very much like a very happy couple. And then they had this daughter. But the guy had a bit of a past, and I believe it was more drug-related, and he has HIV. He is HIV positive. He And so she uh, gets back in contact with the father, takes his blood, and puts it in the two boys' cartons of milk, thus infecting them with HIV. <laughs> and that is the end of the first chapter. It's these kids. Uh, it's not even how that works, shitless. though. Uh, it's not, and she knows that, but they don't. They're middle school kids. True. I guess they, they wouldn't know, know that. <laughs> they wouldn't know that. They're all fucking Because sc- the minute she talks- she, she says in the book, the minute she talks about HIV, the kids seemingly recoil. They like- they like lean back in their chairs away from her because they- it's- this book was written in 2008. Okay. Like, this is- like, it's not- it's not like it's the 80s, but it's not- it's a different time, man. People had different opinions. I'm so, curious too about Japan, the Jap, how they educate people on HIV. In who's Japan to say? Well. But these kids, or even were if scared. it was as bad, there and as so it was in the at States that point, stuff. yeah, that's what happens, and that's the first chapter, and it's a very suspenseful chapter. It's very good. So then, the second chapter is actually told from the perspective of the class president. So, uh, you then move on to a different chapter. So at this point, we're we're at the se- the next year of school. They get a new teacher. And so we find out that boy A is called Shuya, and boy B is called uh, Naoki. I'm going to go with that. That's the pronunciations I'm going with. She writes a letter to the teacher, and she's telling her about all the things that have happened, about how the shit that she caused, about how the insanity that's happened post her leaving the school, and how Naoki just does not come to school. He's enrolled, but he is just not He's basically like a young Hikikomori, basically. Yes, he is just not coming. He ref- he's just not not getting involved. And Sh- uh, Shuya is is acting like nothing ever happened, and he is mostly being ignored. None of the kids want anything to do with him. None of the kids are talking to him. And to be honest, he was kind of a loner beforehand. But to the for the most part, no one is doing it. Like they're not bullying him, but they're not. They're basically choosing to publicly avoid him. They're choosing not to dis- they're choosing not to converse with him essentially. And the new teacher who they're getting is essentially making uh this school president go with him every week to try to get Naoki back to school to give them his lessons but also try to talk to the parent and they never see him. He does not want to participate. He does not want to do anything. And then he finds out he also believes that because no one's in getting involved with uh Shuya that he's also getting bullied but then that actually turns into real bullying because these kids are like you fucked think you killed a little girl and also you're infected with AIDS because <laughs> yep. they think fully think that 
so essentially it's also revealed that she tested that the that the school president girl she tests like the milk and realized that there was no blood in it to begin with like there wasn't blood in it like they, these kids are not infected with aids and also that's not how aids mm-hmm. works but chuya then uses it as like revenge on these kids because so it's like he wants the bullying to end so he just uses his supposed illness as a weapon because that also then makes the kids scared of him so it's just like these kids are like turning into chaos also at some point uh those two shuya and this girl get into a relationship i don't know if she fully remembers that he's a murderer but like we're just gonna these kids are in middle school they're they're bad ideas so the next chapter is from the point of view of naoki's mother that one comes from the perspective of his sister who finds her mother's diary after she dies Mm. this is the same period so we find out that um the mom is the mom is really worried about her kid he's obsessed with being clean he does not leave his room but just wants he becomes super reclusive but like doesn't clean himself but very much is very thing about cleaning plates about cleaning like everything that he touches but he is completely disheveled he refused to leave his room he will not shower nothing um so he is reclusive she also blames the teacher because at some point the teacher does come to confront the parents and the uh teacher and the mom is just like no he didn't do it but also if he did do it it's your fault for being a single bad single mom so she is just trying to do all she's going for all of the she's also descending into madness because she's also talking about how well people are going to judge her because her kid's not going to school but the school like this woman is trying to justify yeah it's giving japanese um, it's giving society judgment but you can also really tell this woman is losing her mind Mm -hmm. In this whole situation, because this is months and months and months of her kid not really wanting to be a part of anything, not engaging with anything, her having to be in a house with him because she's a stay-at-home mother. Mm -hmm. And it starts with the fact that, like, the beginning is sort of from the point of view of the sister, because you also learn that Naoki killed his mom in the beginning of the chapter, and by the end of the chapter you find out what happened. So, at some point... Uh, she also is trying to, like, help her kids. So she's trying to, like, because his hair has grown out. He's completely disheveled. She sees maybe, well, maybe if I cut his hair, he'll be more open to, like, maybe he'll take a shower. Uh, turns out he then just shaves his head and, like, bathes, but shaves his head fully off. Hmm. And then he does actually leave his house, but he leaves his house to go to a convenience store and smears his blood on everything just cuts his hand and just puts blood on all the items and and a bunch of items in the store because he is like also losing his mind. So at the end of that chapter, you find out that she has decided that she is going to just murder suicide. This it's like, well, we're done. I think it's for the best if it's over because I have to kill this kid. And also, you know what? (laughs) If I'm going to kill this kid, I'm just going to go out too. That's the end of that chapter. She's decided to kill her own son and herself. Because yeah, why not? Yeah, that's a madness, so then, not gonna lie. So then the fourth chapter is from Naoki's point of view. So you get, like, the whole story. Like, the, this chapter's from his point of view, and then the next chapter's from Shuji's point of view. So you get, like, the murder. Like, you get this murder, like, three times. From Jesus. three different point of views. 
So you get, Naoki talks about how he was approached by um, Shuya. They started talking. He always thought of, this kid always thought of himself as like, very much victimized, even though he wasn't, because he's not that good a tennis player, but, like, he's victimized by that. Mm-hmm. His teachers don't, like, he's not that good a student, but he's, he's, it's not his problem. It's all of the other things. The thing was, Shuya made the coin purse, and essentially, Naoki is the one that picked the child, because the, there's a, there, there was a thing in the school where, like, if the kids get in trouble, and I think this is a thing in Japan where they call the homeroom teacher to come bail these kids out. It's not like jail, but like kid was out past curfew. They asked the teacher to come in and talk some sense into this kid. Um, her and the other, her and another teacher had this rule where like if it's a male student, he'll go do it. If it's a female student from her, if it's a male student from her class, he'll go deal with it. If it's a female student from her class, from his class, she'll go deal with it. But he was super, but. Nyoki was super pissed. It's like, why doesn't she even care about me at all? And she sent this other teacher who I don't know. And it's like, because you're a male student, she doesn't want to get involved. And also, you're a fucking creep. So mm. that's why he picked to ki- to trick her daughter. I don't think he was fully aware of what was going on. But he was like, well, I want to punish this kid because it'll hurt her. So they trick that. She collapses. Shuya told him that, like, well, the kid's dead. Go tell everybody. Because Shuya was like, I don't care. And then Naoki got super pissed because Shuya called him a thing that he is hated to be called, which is a failure. Which caused him to throw the kid into the the pool. The thing was that that coin purse didn't shock her and kill her. It just shocked her and she fainted. She was alive when she entered that pool, and she was four, so she did drown. But Lord. turns out it's actually Naoki that killed the kid. The coin purse just, you know, kept the kid unconscious. So Naoki, so Naoki was is actually the one that killed her. Yeah. So, but Naoki didn't know that she wasn't dead, is what I'm getting. Oh, no. He knew. He, oh. he figured out that girl was, like, twitching to wake up, and he just wanted to do something that Shuya couldn't. Oh, Lord. Because mm. he got called the failure gotcha. right before. So he's gotcha. like, well, I'm going to do something he couldn't do, and I'm actually going to kill this kid. And then wow. he did. Um, and so then he... The logic of fucked up He children. fears death, because he also gets scared of, like, why am I... I'm going to infect my family with HIV. Oh, no. And so he also, like... You also get his perspective of, like, him not bathing, not showering, just living in his own filth. And that the when his mom cut his hair... In a weird way, he talks about him being so filthy as, like, proof that he is alive and that he's, like, the world is affecting him. I don't know. It's a descent into ma- Every person in this book is descends into Just, various like, forms of madness. having a mental breakdown. Oh, absolutely. And so when his mom cuts his hair, he's like, well, that's getting rid of his evidence of, like, that he's alive and that the world's affecting him. So he hopes- so he goes to the store and actually is just trying to, like, get arrested. Because he's like, I need to be somewhere else. I'm in a bad place. So then his mom attempts to kill him. But then she also mentions that, like, I failed you. Mm -hmm. Which causes him to stab her. In, like, this... Like, he blacks out in a fit of rage. We learn he stabs her. And now he's going to jail. Because he killed his mom. Well, duh. Yeah, he should be. Yeah, but he also, like, blacked out in a fit of rage. And killed his mom. Yeah. That's sort of how that works. Like, fail is a trigger word for him. Fail is a big trigger word for him. 
So clearly it's a big yes. trigger warning. So the last so the fifth chapter is from Shuya's point of view. And it's almost presented like a weird little last will and because the first uh line is the last will and testament. Uh mm. but you know, he's an eighth grader and he's a fucking sociopath. Yep, so yep. We present Shuya's life, which is that his mom abandoned him, like, was abusive, but then his pa- like his father divorced his mom, his mom uh, then just left, and so he uh, wants to get his mom's attention because his mom worked as a scientist, so that's why he's making all these, like, weird little contraptions. He then proceeds to want to just gain any sort of attention, and sort of the story of him like winning the national like science fair gets overshadowed by a case of a child murdering her family like that's the actual big news story of the time so he's like well i guess i gotta commit some horrible acts for attention (laughs) so then he decides to kill this kid uh turns out that he actually kind of was okay with getting hiv and was a little disappointed that he didn't because he, because t- he's the one that actually decides to test himself and realize he's testing negative, and unless, unlike Yoki, who's out here being like, "Well, I got AIDS now," I'm like that's not how AIDS works, kids. Um, so we find out that uh, at some point, him and the girl, the the school president girl, are in a relationship, and then at some point they have a fight, and then he kills her. Second, his second, oh, his first murder, technically. And so then he find so he goes out to find his mother to try to reconnect with his mom, which is, this is, this was apparently why we did all this, was for his mother. Finds out that she has remarried and has a child. Is just living happily with this new family that she has. Ouch. Yep. So he decides that, you know what I'm just gonna do? We're murder, we're doing the second murder-suicide of this, of this book. So he- it's very the I'm gonna tell you the blurb on the front of this book is if Albert Camus had written Heather's it would have looked like this and the Heather's comparison I did not realize how uh, timely that was because his plan here is to set a bomb in the school he's in the school and for it to detonate oh yeah that's Heather's and for, all right <laughs> for it to detonate while at a school assembly so he tries to detonate it and then he gets a call from the original teacher whose kid he murdered. And the last chapter is back from her point of view. So she reveals that she never put the blood in. Uh, she did put the blood in the milk, but the the child the child's father found, like, because you can't sneakily steal someone's blood. That's not a thing. Mm-hmm. You feel things. Mm-hmm. So he came to school and, like, put it back. And he's like, no, you can't do this. So they never ingested blood whatsoever. She did try. She did want it to happen, but it never happened. And so essentially, she had been orchestrating this whole thing. She is the one that had been uh, talking with the new teacher, her replacement, about and giving him uh, different ideas for the lesson, like uh, giving him notes and everything. And she, her advice was all in order to make things worse for both Shuya and Yoki. She's the one that told him to keep going to his house to, like, drive home the points of him, uh, of the school. She's the one that encouraged him to talk about the bullying, which caused the bullying to get worse for Shuya. She, her final revenge was that she did hear about the bomb. The bomb is at his mom's workplace. When he detonated that bomb, he killed his mom. And at the end, she's like, well, my revenge is complete. 
Um, well, to be shit. honest, that last chapter begins. So wait, did he think that the bomb? He thought wait, the bomb was. He, was he planted to... the bomb in the school he was in to kill everybody in the school he was in. She moved the bomb to where his mother works. Wow. To the the university where his mom works, and thus that is the that is who he blew up. One of my favorite points is that the chap the last chapter when he call when she calls him uh it says Shuya it's mama that's what she greets him with because she knows she's about to fuck him up. Uh, the police will arrive uh, like the, they're she's talking about how the police are going to come they're going to arrest you for like the death of not only your little uh the truth of the death then the punishment you're gonna receive is not sufficient and so she's like i needed you to hurt before uh i need you to hurt like i did and so the last line is funny i think i finally had my fill of revenge now and with any luck i've at least started you on your road to recovery but i don't know how he recovers but she is she at least thinks that now people are gonna know the truth about what happened to her daughter and so he is gonna get arrested uh, that's this book, and I thought it was really good. That sounds like a good book, honestly. It's just twist after does, twist after does. twist. Like, you don't expect bomb a murder-suicide. Also, she- wouldn't, wouldn't she be complicit, though, in murder? Or no? I mean, she's lost she everything. Her husband that, uh, her husband that she was in love with has, by the end of this book, actually died of AIDS. So, oh, she's wow. lost yeah, everything. So, I don't think she cares. Yeah, so she- yeah, she, she lost care. her daughter, she lost her husband, she lost everything she ever had. All because of two little shits. Two little shitty middle schoolers. Two little shits. Mm-hmm. With mommy issues. Both of them got Damn. mommy issues. One was killed, both of them killed their moms by the end of the book. Yeah, they did. So that was Confessions. And they took out their feelings on a mom. They took out their feelings on a, a six-year-old. Yep. On a four-year-old, sorry, it's not a, a six-year-old, the four-year-old. Yeah, they took out their feelings on a six-year-old. Four-year-old. Because of their mom, who was their teacher, and they had mommy issues. They all got mommy issues. That yeah. poor kid, too. That kid drowned. So that is confession. Highly recommend. Even with it, even if you don't, even if you know the twist, it's like a mm-hmm. wild ride. You, like, forget about them. Because a lot of the twists are uh, revealed in, like, the first page. Because, like, you'd figure out that, like, the, uh, Naoki's mom is dead in, like, the first page of her chapter. Uh-huh. But, like, you have to figure out, like, what the fuck happened. What, who, what happened here? And so everyone's just, uh, so many families destroyed. So I feel like many that's people. gonna be the theme of this episode. It's a lot of families getting destroyed. Absolutely Basically. destroyed. <laughs> so many child deaths. That's another thing that's in a another, lot of these books. That's another, because my book child also deaths. has a child death. A lot of child death. All right. Uh, Graveyard apartment. So basically, it all starts off with this family. Got the dad, Tepe. We got the mom, Misao. And then we got their daughter, Tamo. And of course, we started the book opening up with the family finding out that the family bird, Pyoko, is dead. And they tell the daughter, Tamo, this. You know. And they're all just, you know, this is, a, they just recently moved to this place, too, and all of a sudden it's been a few days in, and then the bird dies, and, you know, and then, and then of course, from there it goes into describing the local area, how there's this brand new apartment here, 
Uh, it's right next to a graveyard from the Taisho era. Uh, that's left over from a uh, Buddhist temple, and there's a crematorium in the background in the distance. All that fun jazz. And they are, and the, and the apartment is pretty much surrounded by this graveyard for the most part. Um, also, interesting tidbit we find out. So, Tepe had a first wife, and then he cheated on that first wife uh, with Misao. And then that first wife, finding out that her hus- about her husband's affair killed herself and uh, basically left a suicide no basically let him know and we find out about this wife because there's a, a memorial uh plate for her in the home that me sal looks at again after you know doing unpacking and all that jazz uh and, and then it goes into the story about me sal and tepe they met at work and then uh you know felt you know obviously fell for each other um, and then Misao, because of the whole fact that the first wife died, she left that office place because she felt very ashamed about that. And they they, 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 talk, they also in person talk about the first death of the first wife. And um, and basically, you know, Misao ultimately decides to stay with Tepe. And then, of course, and of course, they bring the first wife's memorial tablet with them and stuff like that. Uh, Tamao, their daughter, is kindergarten age. She enrolls into a local school. They go to get the uniform, and of course, like, there's a shop on there, you know, the local area, there's a little bit, it's a bit, the apartment build. the apartment itself is bigger than what they were used to, but it's not, the location might not be necessarily the best, the most desired place, a little bit of shabby shop, and the shopkeeper mentions to uh, Misao about the death of a child last year that was hit by a car in front of the temple. And that's the reason why the kid, like, Tama was wearing, like, a yellow hat now. So that they could try to see them. And also, and interesting enough, after they leave the shop, Tama decides to tell mom that uh, Pyoko, the bird that just died, you know, the day or two before, was just visiting her the night before and that it was talking to her. That the bird was talking about the apartment and the area being dangerous, about there being monsters, and... That when uh, the monsters speak, that a big wind sucks everyone into a black hole and that sort of stuff. And of course, Misao, of course, thinks that this is very much just a dream and a nightmare. But now, t- the way Tamo's phrasing it, Tamo sounds like it's real, that the bird just showed up and is here talking to her, pretty much. Um, and of course, you know, they go and they meet. The- Another in- interesting thing to know is that the neighbors, uh, there isn't a lot of them. It's a very big, it's like eight floor apartment building. But yet there's only like about maybe six units in use in this big apartment building. So kind of quiet. Very weird. I end up meeting the neighbors. Uh, one of the neighbors, Eiko, and who has a daughter, Kaori, and a son, Sutomu? 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 I think. Kaori and Sutomu. Uh, you know, they bond with Tamao. They, they're bond- she and Eiko and uh, Misao bond. It's probably the most closest adult friendship that I see from there. And uh, they int- they have an interesting uh, situation where they mentioned about the storage setup uh, and check out the um, basement of the apartment. And the interesting thing to note about this basement is a couple things. That um, there are no stairways from this basement. There's only the elevator. No stairs to get out of that basement. Except for the elevator. Okay. And then also the storage lockers themselves kind of resemble a little bit like coffins. It's giving coffin. Not complete coffin, obvious, but it's giving coffin. Uh, yeah, so apparently there's also another random company in the building that is keeping 
their unsold product in the basement. And that also Misao noticed that she felt a wind chill, but yet the basement was all sealed up. Why are we feeling the wind in the basement? And then um, also Mies, and as an odd note, Misao also finds an odd bird feather on the bird cage that used to be Pyoko's, but you know, Pyoko died, of course. White but gray at the tip, which was a little bit different from the family bird, but still a little weird. And then Tepe meets his brother Tatsuji for drinks. And then Tatsuji got a wife named Naomi. It is apparently controlling a bitch, but, you know, they still meet up at the club, I guess. And, of course, we find out, of course, throughout the course of this book and the story, we find out more about some inner thoughts about some of the characters. Tepe is one of them, where he does think about, you know, is introspective about the death of his first wife and really the lack of emotions to that death he has and him just not caring, <laughs> essentially. And, yeah, he meets up with his brother. They talk about it, too. They get drinks and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, uh, the health company's moving out. Tamo keeps talking about the bird. So it seems like, um, Pyoko still seems to keep visiting Tamo. Maybe in her dreams, maybe in real life. Who knows at this point? Another interesting, weird red flag. Watching TV, they start, the family starts to see a black shadow show up on this program of this one particular TV station. Shadow doesn't rub off. They're thinking it's an issue with the TV, but they notice that it only appears on one channel. And then eventually it disappears. A little weird. And then uh, during this time, Tamo pops it, pipes in, and is all like, uh, Pyoko was talking to me and told me about what this other place is like and that there are people who are black shadows with no faces. And they live in a bad place and the monsters, you know. And of course, Tepe is all like, oh, sweet child, you know. You're talking about, he tries to relate to his kid, of course, thinking it's like a bad dream or something. About, like, him being afraid of, like, amoebas as a kid. And he thought that the hangers in his closet were monsters. And then Cookie, and then they also have a dog called Cookie. And the dog gets distracted almost a little bit, uh, hypnotized by the TV for a brief moment. Yeah, the animals are just, yeah, the animals acting up. I mean, come on here. Um, yeah, Miso uh, leaves Tamo and, a and her, ch her, ch her child at Aiko's place for a little bit. And her and Echo mentions how they were basically playing, right now, playing in the basement. And Misao, of course, is very, has been very uncomfortable about the basement, understandably, because there's no fucking stairway. Why is the only entrance an elevator? Fair enough. Like, and she hates that they're playing on, down there unsupervised. And that, again, lockers look a little bit like coffins, so, mm. And the like, her and Tippy, of course, had talked about, you know, the basement. And, like, um, no one can, like, go and help you because what if this elevator's down? It's kind of a problem, right? Yeah, they basically have a conversation about that. And Tepe is, of course, so like, well, anything about can happen anywhere, you know? And that thinking constantly like that all the time in real life, you know, is not for the best. And, you know, all that jazz, like, in denial, basically. It's another neighbor, too. Mitsue Tabata and like she and her husband live in there as well. She they don't got no kids, and they mentioned that and they she casually meets up with Aiko and uh, Misao and basically is all like, "Yo, all the homies are moving out of the apartment. There's like you know no more else moving in. It's now just down to three families." And Aiko's all like, "Well, it's probably because we're surrounded by an ancient graveyard." And that, and they, and that's where it gets into an interesting conversation, where they start to mention about the local area, and that apparently there were plans for an underground shopping district that was going to be an connected. Underground shopping. Yes, district. an underground shopping district uh, that was going to connect to different train stations, which actually is a thing in Japan. I, I'm aware that there's these underground sections and stuff like that. 
And it was almost built, but the plans were stopped. And like, basically, it also leads, and that further leads to a conversation about potentially, for some reason, alligators live in the area, but mainly in particular, alligators. but mainly alligators, in particular, a phantom road leading to nowhere existing as well underneath this ground. Uh, so Tomo, apparently, after playing in the basement, leaves something down there. Misa decides to go get it. She heals. She, this is the first indication that some weird shit's happening in this basement because she gets there. She hears a sound of rustling and she feels a rust of cold and she gets uh, creeped out and like, okay, oh, look, there's a neighbor. Okay, let's talk and leave. Okay, boom. Bye. And of course, Tatsuji and his wife, Naomi, decide to come visit. Um... I guess. And then, meanwhile, Tepe, I guess, is, decides to watch a taxi driver and a prostitute, I think it's a prostitute, maybe, fight. And the oh, woman, the one, prostitute, right. is also part of the apartment unit, talks to him, and she's all like, yeah, I'm moving out, and, like, y'all should move out, too. And, like, especially when she heard that Tepe had a child, she's like, listen, I'm getting a lot of bad vibes, but that basement be freaky, though. Really, really freaky. Again, the basement is weird. Are we not getting that right now? The basement's fucking weird. The basement's really weird. And like, interest, another note too. He gets home and him and Misao have a hard time opening up the sliding glass door in the back for a hot second. Could not open it up until Tepe was able to open it up. Weird that it couldn't open, but there was nothing blocking it. Okay, cool. All right. And then Tamo now starts to get bullied at school. Uh, her and Kaori get bullied about them being graveyard apartment kids, being taunted about that. Misa, of course, trying to be a decent parent, trying to turn the situation to a positive tone, but Tamo's all like, nah, fuck that. I hate living here. <laughs> you know, as uh, you know, as eloquently as a six-year-old puts it. And Eiko and Misa, of course, have a conversation about that. Uh, you know, another, you know, and all that jazz. Um, but in this conversation, Eiko's son, uh, I think it's not Tatsuji, uh, whatever the fuck his name is, he comes up and is all just like, Yo, Tamo's bleeding. Uh, bleeding out, and um, like that, like, and also that the elevator's broken. She, he's, you know, there's a problem there, and she's, he's all like, Tamo got cut on the leg, but there wasn't anything sharp down there. Okay, how do you get a cut on your leg? Well, cutting it into something. Cool. Okay, so and like, and then all the adults go down there, and then there's this other guy who. You know, it's like the caretaker for the building who's also about to leave too, shocker. Uh, he arrives and is calm about the elevator needing to be fixed. He says some sort of chanting stuff and it actually makes the elevator work again. Okay, cool. Because I guess it wasn't a mechanical issue. But his chanting works and makes it work again. Okay, interesting. And basically, Tomo's bleeding out, super pale. She's taken to the hospital. But uh, Cookie, though, getting down there, you know, staring at, notably stares at a spot on the wall where Tamo was at, where she was sitting. And, like, intently stares at it to the point, you know, Cookie has to be dragged away. And, yeah, and, of course, after this whole incident, Tepe's reflecting back on the whole thing after Tamo is back home and recovering. Tepe's all just, like, reflecting back on the conversation with the doctors about how they got the cut. And clear lack of understanding of knowing where the cut came from. And they think it was some, like, whisper wind situation where, oh, the wind comes in and cuts the leg kind of by short. But the doctors aren't saying that, but that's what they kind of loosely suggest could have been what happened. Tepe decides to do some detective investigation work, of course, as any dad would, I guess. 
and like looks around he finds absolutely nothing that could have caused this incident he's all like there's nothing sharp the kids were playing each by themselves in the basement essentially doing their own thing no one threw anything at anyone you know yeah and yeah, they're basically, Tepe and Misao are un- in their own ways just trying to rationalize anything that's happening right now. And Tepe, of course, runs into the guy who opened the elevator doing his chance, Shoji, and he's all like, um, this place be dangerous. And Shoji is leaving, and he's all like, yeah, you should bounce, bro. So that's the second person that's told Tepe to get the fuck out of there. Um, <laughs> and then we get some info into Shoji, and I guess he's a master of chi, and he was all like, yeah, basically it's a supernatural energy force around here. And I used my chi to basically force it open and redirect it back to me. And that caused him to be super exhausted and tired after doing all that. So open up the elevator doors again. Apparently. So yeah. Uh, but yeah, Shoji's gone after this. So yeah. So Miso decides to go to the K-Ward offices after, you know, talking about with the ladies about, you know, the, the underground shopping district plans. She decides to look further into that. And she looks into it, finds out the land was going to be used to make some high-rise city apartments. She finds a bunch of, you know, advertising, pamphlets, all that jazz, paperwork. And, of course, some listed arguments against the development of this thing. And particularly, we've, that's where we find out where the graveyards from the Taisho era, the bodies were buried, buried, they weren't cremated, and then eventually the plan stopped, right? And she also finds another man, asks him more about the proposal and the movement of bodies, and the man states it basically fizzled out, but the developers were able to dig a hole at the graveyard. They were able to dig some shit, but it didn't get any further than that. And uh, apparently Misao's mom decides to show up, uh, come visit the family, uh, and basically they're pissed about the fact she had an affair. Well, she didn't have an affair, but she decided to marry a dude who had an affair on his first wife and all that jazz, and yeah, and apparently her dad hasn't really been talking to her ever since, too. So that's cool. So the family hates them for being married now, too. Uh, yeah, Eiko comes by. She's all like, I. she felt she was hearing voices on the other side of the wall in the basement, basically. And that's when Miso kind of puts two and two together, being like, yo, what this building's at the very same site they dug this fucking hole in this graver? And I'm like, you don't say. You don't say, Miso. You don't. You don't. You don't say. No shit. And Echo's all like, I wonder if someone died or was killed down here. And it's like, well, you know, n- no shit. Maybe. Who knows? And yeah, and, and then we hear some more, again, red flags coming up. Like, okay, Tepe and Tamo running to the neighbors. Uh, Mitsu- Mitsue, I think the, the single, uh, the couples with no kids, uh, basically being like, I was hearing scratches, loud noises, and clashes at night from coming from the basement, basically. And then, of course, Tepe's now getting kind of annoyed and uh, yells at Misao when she's talking about the whole thing with Echo that they were talking about and what Echo heard in the basement. Tepe is basically in denial about it and being a dick about it, but, of course, that seems typical. You know, basically. And, however, the neighbors decide to ask Tepe to go down to the basement to scope out the basement to see what could have caused me, uh, little Tamo from getting injured. Misao is obviously... Misao is obviously not happy about this, but, you know... Um, and frankly, just wants to go ahead and start putting the apartment on the market. And Tepe, you know, is not happy about that being like, we just bought the place. And, you know, is all like, I'm, you know, and goes on a whole rant, you know, and like being a rant about this and why should you worry about the dead and all that jazz. And then Misa is like, um, bitch, the fuck? You don't respect the dead? Hello, your first wife, dude? Um, remember that? 
Remember all that. Yeah. Okay. So Tepe's kind of a dickhead, I guess. But yeah, basically Tepe and then the two neighbor, the neighbors, aka the older neighbor couple, go down there. They basically find nothing. Uh, but they're heading towards the elevator. Um, but the elevator appears to be stuck. He starts feeling the draft. The lights go in and out. They're all fucking panicking. They'll be like, okay, we need to find a call box to get the hell out of here. But yeah, that ain't working. And Tepe's really starting to feel like the wind is circling his legs and like literally holding on to him. And he's finding it hard to breathe. Uh, and that's when the neighbors, of course, directly tell Tepe about the whole shopping mall district that, you know, and all the details of that. And then and it also sounds like the no- they're hearing a lot more noises and an entity basically starts to make their way towards them. And something at some point hits him on the back of the head and he is knocked out. And Misao and Tamo knows the TV is not working properly. Um, and then Misao realizes, oh shit, the neighbors aren't back and the elevator's stuck at V2. So she's all like, shit. And she calls up Eiko and they are like hurrying up. Eiko and her husband hurry up and they're like trying to fix this goddamn elevator. And then the TV starts working again. They're able to get to the basement. They find everyone. But now there is a large black stain on the back wall of the basement interesting something here that wasn't there before right yes Mm. questionable lovely they go go ahead check the elevator no issues and all you know all they're like yeah but they also decide because of this incident that they're going to have all the doors to the apartment building unlocked permanently unlocked and have the emergency locking stuff removed Basically, but Aiko and her family are peacing out because, um, fair, Miso goes to say goodbye and stuff like that. However, as the family's leaving, the main doors to the apartment are literally sealed shut tight and they can't open them. And the, all of a sudden, these white fingerprints start appearing on the glass. And of course, the people are freaking out, being like, what the actual fuck? And then it stops. And Aiko and her family, you know, essentially fucking rush outside and are like, bitch, we are getting the fuck out. And of course she, you know, Cookie rushes after them. And she's like freaking out, you know, going berserk because she clearly sees something. But yeah. Yeah, Tepe, of course, now is starting to have more nightmares about Reiko, uh, his ex, his, well, not ex-wife, but his first wife that killed herself. So wasn't really an ex, but you know. And he's all, and now, and Tepe finally now believes everything that Misa has been telling him. And is all like, all right, we're going to go find a new place now. And it's like, thank you for catching up. Thank you for catching up. Thank you for finally catching up on that. Thank, thank you, you for, for getting, getting there. there eventually. Um, his brother and his wife decide to show up at the apartment. And Tamo spills the fact to them that they're looking to move. And of course, Naomi, being apparently a bitch and all, decides to try to get nosy and, you know, figure out the details of the situation. And Misa and Tepe basically come up with, you know, half-baked reasons as to why this they're moving again and all that jazz. And yeah, uh, they're still having issues. And then from time to time, they still have issues with the elevator not working, but then it works again. Uh, Tepe and Misa have this whole thing where they're going to in a real estate apartment. They choose, an, they look at two apartments. They choose one that looks like it's going to be nice in a separate, almost individual unit itself. That's like its own building. But then the realtor decides to call him back and basically be like, yeah, that building burnt down. And we have no idea what the fuck did that. Because the gas, because uh, because the electrical and the gas were already cut off prior. So nothing should have burnt that shit down. So then they decide to be like, okay, we'll go with the other smaller apartment we looked at then. Cool. And then this is also the time at the, the other people left in the building or the old uh, 
was it Mitsue and her husband, that old couple, and they decided to leave the building. They basically got new jobs as resident managers at a seaport, like, apartment complex building. So cool. They're going to be by the ocean. And yeah, um, basic, and yeah, they have a final conversation with Misao, um, and apparently the people, Misao and her family were supposed to move, but this is where we find out that the person of that tiny apartment, whoever lived there prior, or was living there prior, had died the night before. And this was interesting because it was like the woman that was living at that old tiny apartment that Misao and Tepe were looking at was only like in her early 20s, 23, 24, and it didn't appear like it was suicide. So, hmm, mysterious death. Weird. But not suicide. Weird. But yeah. And apparently, pulling away from the building, the old couple noticed that it lit up brightly as they were pulling away. And then the taxi driver starts asking them some very interesting questions. Like if they had kids or grandkids and Mitsue was all like, yeah, no, we don't. Uh, weren't able to. And then the taxi driver was all like, then who the heck was seeing you off then? And he was all like, yeah, there were like 10 to 8 people in front of the temple over there watching you guys leave. And then the couple were like, there were people there. We didn't see anyone. And But the taxi guy was all like, yeah, they looked pretty gloomy and dressed in black. Okay. Weird. Weird, but okay. And yeah, so then eventually we're down to just Misao, Tepe, and Tamo. And of course, Cookie. And the family do end up finding a two-story building to move into finally. At least for, you know, a few years at least. And it turns out Pyoko still has been visiting Tamo from time to time and recently told her to basically move out as soon as possible. Whatever you can do. And Tatsuji and Naomi arrive for basically the family's final night at the apartment. They're staying over to help them move and stuff. And Naomi now all of a sudden starts to think it's all weird and creepy being the only ones left at this apartment. Uh, But of course, Misao pretends everything's fine. And basically, Misao, in an interesting note, picks up Reiko's death tablet, feels it kind of move around. Uh, yep, but, and uh, feels like the cloth that was covering the death tablet, the memorial tablet, was moved or taken off or something, but no one touched it. Weird. Yep, uh, they also notice with Naomi and Satsuji that the TV's not working. And then uh, as they wake up the next day, they start to notice that the doors and the windows of the apartment are not opening. Uh, the front door to the apartment opens still, the door to the individual unit, but everything else is not opening. The phone is also dead, too. And Tepe decides to go check out the main floor, and then guess what? They go to the main door of the building, and guess what? There are white fingerprints all over that motherfucker. Great. We got a problem, Houston. Right? So they're trying to break open this door, and yeah, not working, because it's basically bounced. Anything that's hitting it's bouncing off like rubber, even though the door's made of glass. Great. Fantastic. We got a problem. Tatsuji hurts himself in the process, and Tepe basically goes ape shit on the door, and yeah, nothing. And if anything, more fingerprints show up on the door. So great. Just bright white, covered of full white fingerprints. The movers appear to arrive, but then something kind of goes a little bit out of the way. They don't they, their family's watching this. They didn't hear the truck go away. And they rush to the roof. The truck isn't there. There are no clouds and no other soul, it seems to be, around the area besides the individual family. It looks, nor- it looks for the most part, mostly normal. And then from the roof, they see two stru- steaming dark blobs. And it's kind of almost giving off, as literally described in the book, a Salvador Dali painting vibe. Literally. And one blob becomes the Japanese kanji for large, and then the other one, and they also see the kahi, the kaki, sorry, kaki scraps of what was presumably the drivers being absorbed. And they deduce that, like, eh, the movie men are dead now. Great. So then 
the brothers decided to write a large sign, basically. That's basically an SOS sign. Uh, Tepe and Tatsuji argue basically over Tepe's knowledge about this whole building and the fuckery and all the creepy shit going on. And then they also get into an argument about Reiko and her death. Uh, Tepe's first wife. And basically, Tatsuji being all like, I have to clean up all your shit from that mess. And basically, go to the family, say that we're sorry she died, and all this other crap. And then he basically convinces Tepe to tell him everything, which he does tell him everything. And then, you know, yay, at least someone's all caught up. Uh, The phone company dude shows up, and the brothers are shouting at him to call the police and stuff. And then the phone company dude waits till the electrician gets here. And he gives them the notice that they get from the brothers. Those two individuals get into the cars and they explode. Almost like it's a sign from the spiritual universe, basically. Like a spiritual explosion. They're just exploding. And then Tepe and Satsuji are all just like, yeah, we're fucked. And they're leaving the room, basically. The power in the building goes out. There's still some food in the fridge, but, you know, it's going to get back real quick. And I'm trying to make some food. The building's getting hot because, again, no electricity, no AC and shit. They try to open the doors. Of course, nothing's working still. Uh, yeah, and then they're all just like, oh, wait, that health company they still left shit here. We can get food from there. They still, because the health company was promoting these uh, calorie, those bars that you eat that basically make you more fat to add calories to your body, calorie dense. You know what I'm talking about, Sammy? Those like, yeah, those kind of bars. Like, uh, yeah. And so like, they go down to the, they were like, okay, it's probably worth it just to go to the basement to get some fucking food so we can try to live. You know, and they like they decided to go down there the next day and sleep it off. Thor is covered in more thumbprints somehow. Um, I don't know how many more thumbprints you could fucking get on that door, but it's there. They find the bars, but they also find that that black hole in the wall where Tama was injured and where Cookie was basically staring at that one time when Tama got injured. It's gotten bigger and it's like more of a hole. And then Tatsuji is all like, I'm hearing shit from the hole and hearing all the voices. And then, of course, they start, like, trying to break at the hole in the wall that's at the back of this place. Uh, Tats- they apparently managed to make a hole big enough to stick your whole ass head through, so that's what Tatsuji does. And um, he's all like, oh my god, bro, there's an actual road in here. Like, legit, a road in the ground. So, looks like we found our fan road, ladies and gentlemen. There's our fan road. And Tatsuji's all, like, going chaotic, well... He's all like, oh my god, we're gonna be saved, we're gonna live. Tepe is totally convinced, downing that shit. And that it's pretty much otherworldly at this point. But, you know, all of them eventually ventured down there. Um, and just moved on. Uh, go ahead and, not fully moved on, but they went to go ahead and go through this, keep cracking at this hole in the wall and keep walking. See what we got here. Of course, Cookie freaks out going down there, and, you know, they see the road. Naomi and Tatsuji are freaking out, but, like, they're, like, freaking out, like, the, oh, my God, we're going to be saved way. Tamo's scared, obviously, because she's a child. You know, they're all going down the road. Cookie, at some point, freaks the fuck out. Naomi and Tatsuji are in front of them and somehow disappear. Just, whoop, vanish. And then the earth begins to move underneath them. Tepe's trying to get his brother, but no voice is heard. And the area becomes, like, you know, gross and scary. They're hearing a lot of voices. Oh, my God, it's freaking the fuck out. And the remaining four of them basically head back to the elevator and get the fuck out of the basement. And uh, the book ends, basically. They're still there. They just decide to kind of, at this point, spend the rest of the time being happy and shit. You know, Tepe and Misao recollect their fox thoughts. Probably are going to bang. I don't know. But then it ends with the elevator unexpectedly starting to work. And then 
it opens up at their floor, and then some mysterious voices are heard, and figurines are stepping out, and then Cookie becomes alert, and then the story ends. Boom. So they probably die, is what I'm getting at. They probably die. Probably, probably dead. dead. Probably. probably. Pretty, pretty straightforward horror story, though. But just basically, I, I feel like this should be just also known as Red Flags the novel, because, oh my god, the red flags in this book are... So many red flags of like, yeah, get the fuck out of there. But at the end, it does seem like the universe or the spiritual world really wants that family to be there. Yet somehow Raiko doesn't appear as a ghost. And I'm just like, oh, we could have had Raiko show up as a ghost being like, I'm going to fuck you all up. But no, we can't have that. I was waiting for that to happen. But who knows? Maybe the spirit, the other spirits vibed and saw that's what happened. Or like, we're going to take revenge out on them for you, sis. So that's that book. Not as twisty and turny, I feel like, as any other horror book. But, like, yeah, there's suspense and just a lot of, um, why did you choose to move here in the first place? And just why didn't you leave sooner? <laughs> kind of scenarios, you know? But, yeah. Woohoo. 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 All right. Kayla. Sort of where the starting point is, is your... In the perspective of Soan, Soan is the son of this character named Hyunsu, who is the um, man who was convicted of both murdering um, the girl, this like young girl, and like throwing her in a dam, but also flooding an entire village worth of people um, and killing, Almost, like essentially I mean, just obliterating an entire village. Not that murder blood. is not bad. Yes. But also, I feel like obliterating an entire village. An entire village of people. Maybe maybe worse. Worse. Def it's definitely worse. One um, of those one of those is murder. One of yes. those might be terrorism. It's giving maybe terrorism. It's a lot of murder. You know? yeah. It yeah. could be terrorism, depending on the context. Yeah. You yes, know? yes. You, you, can, you can go um, with he terrorism. Is, he's on death row in South Korea for that. Because you clearly he, when be. you kill an entire village of people. You know, maybe one murder. Um, that's what'll do it. Eh, many a murder. Eh, maybe many, many a murder. Yes. It's um essentially what happened is that this I, this is there's also a lot of specifics about like dams and like reservoirs and how oh, the God. the specifics of Mechanisms. that work and I don't yeah and I don't specifically know that but essentially what seems to have happened is that there's a giant lake type reservoir that will fill up or be however much depending on how they want to control the water flow for it and that can be opened on like one edge but if you open it all at once it'll essentially it just floods the city that is beneath the dam and so that's essentially what he's charged of doing is opening the floodgates of that and then it just took out the entire city within a matter of minutes like there was no chance to fix it because as soon as he did it like it was too late um so that's what's happening there we're then with Soan. Soan has been moved from family member to family member over the years because no matter where he goes, his sort of dark past of being the son of like a murderer is following him with him. Where 
he gets ki- like some of the schools he attends like straight up refuse like to have him as a student there like he's like a horrible I feel like if you are past. the innocent child of a murderer you should be able to go by like mom's maiden name or some shit so that's the thing is that he transfers everywhere and identity? is like changing names but it's still following him around ah, because someone it's it's, it a, feels like if like no matter where he is situation. it's like it's targeted where it's like flyers will show up like our magazine articles will show up and like literally in the classrooms like it's very targeted that someone is following him and making sure that his past is known to the people around him mm, so he exactly. ends up then living with this man named sung Kwan, who um lived with his family back when they lived on in this city where the the dam was one day he is essentially alone but then he finds this entire manuscript that sung Kwan has started writing that is detailing all of the events that happened with his father and him and this other man seven years ago. So then it starts with the flashback sort of situation where we essentially are made aware of how this girl is killed, like, immediately. It's in the first, like, couple chapters of this book. So Juan and his dad are this new family. They got a new job at, um... Essentially being a his dad got a job as a security guard working for this reservoir. And there's a lot of like also family drama going on with him. His dad is like a raging alcoholic. And his mom also is in like they're they're like parents are his parents are like not in love at all. And his mom like low-key hates his dad. And there's a lot of like financial bad like situations going on with their family that's also adding a lot of stress. Sung Kwan lived in the house that they were supposed to be moving into, and I don't know why specifically this had to happen, where they couldn't kick him out of the house, but also had to give the house to the family. So they just moved into that house with him. And so So Won ends up just sharing a bedroom with him, (laughs) and they just live together in this house um, with this random man who apparently they are not allowed to kick out of it before they move in. But he also works in the same, like, job as, like, a security guard at this reservoir place. So the night before this, his family's supposed to move up there, his dad, his mom sent his dad to go just check out the house and see what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, his dad then got drunk instead at the rest stop by the city and then hits this girl with his car. Oh, and then dumps her body into the reservoir. What is Be- with people dumping children's bodies into bodies of water? You know, it's a choice. Um, it's a theme today. It's a theme today. Where this gets complicated is that, so the reason this girl was just, like, randomly on the street um, in the middle of the night was because her dad, her dad's name is Young Jay. he is very abusive, very controlling. Her mom... Um, left her there essentially has been for years trying to divorce him and essentially he will not let her divorce him because he will incessantly follow her and track her down and like force her it's really fucked up and he does like a lot of the same shit to his daughter where um she very clearly misses her mom um but he's like also like very just like physically abusive so she is essentially ran away in the middle of the night because she has this little cat friend that she's been feeding, it's a little stray cat. But the cat um fucked up like one of her dad's like he d- makes these like little model castle things out of twigs and the cat like got down there somehow and like fucked it up and so he murdered he he didn't murder the cat. I think he like severely like beat the cat. 
And so that really upset her. And so she ran away in the middle of the night. And that's how she ended up um, on the road and then got hit by a car. And the other thing that makes it uh, like confusing and complicated is that Sun Quan, for some reason, has like a side hobby. As Well, he's both a writer and he also is a diver. So he is learned about how there is like a sunken underground city in the dam reservoir. And it's like... He's clearly not going to get permission to just go scuba diving there, so he sneaks in there in the middle of the night. So he's scuba diving in the dam, just taking photos of this city, when the girl's body gets dumped into the lake. So Can all you three of them- scuba dive in a dam? Yeah, that I don't- feels like an absolute yeah. waste of your time. I don't know why he's doing it. It's just- it's a it's choice, just being really. Done. Yes, it's it a is. choice. I'm just saying that scuba diving in a dam seems like a waste yeah. of time. Yes. I don't know. He's there to take pictures because there is a sunken city in this damn oh, reservoir. Yeah, that's why he's I mean, why interest not? him. So it's like, sure, I guess. Again, he the lost wants it as inspiration. Atlantis, lost damn. city of the dam, I guess, you know. We get a very, like, chronological line of events of what happens after that. Hyunsu, who is his al- Soan's alcoholic dad, who is the actual murderer in this case, is just, like, having a mental breakdown slowly where... He keeps seeing visions of her, and he also keeps seeing visions of his dead abusive father, and also just starts losing feeling in his left arm or his right arm because he was a pic- he was a pitcher at some point in time, but then got into a car accident and got an injury, which like sort of forced him out of baseball. And ever since then, he's had an issue where his just his arm will go numb for no reason. And that starts happening at, like, an increasingly concerning pace. And the only way for him to regain feeling his arm is to literally, like, cut himself and feel pain of, like, severe pain of some sort. So that's just a bad situation. And the alcoholism is worse. And while all of that is happening, both Sunkwon and... Young Jay, I think both are pretty sure that he is the one who killed the girl. Young Jay is definitely sure because he's an obsessive kind of psychopath man. And he is going through all these details. He's looking extensively into this family's history and where he was on that night and all sorts. And he's looking into both of them, both Sun Quan and Young Jay, because he also figures out that Sun Quan probably was in the dam for some reason, but he doesn't know specifically why he's there or what he was doing there. And so once he figures out that he's pretty sure that um, Yansu murdered his daughter, he starts to, like, set up this incredibly elaborate revenge plan against him, where in the past it involves him, he first he throws some type of, like, a weird, like, cult, like, educational event with like some children from an orphanage and that's supposed to be like a big publicity thing but then it turns out he only did that so he could get access to the control room of this dam so he could go in there at a later point in time he then kidnaps um hyunsu sun so on he kidnaps him and then he also kidnaps sun kwan and he also kidnaps hyunsu's wife and so on's mother and has them all tied up in various locations. Actually, I think he sends goons after Sun Quan, but he is just kind of left in a room and they don't bother him as much. They take So Wan. He ties him up with this cat that also um, his daughter 
really liked. And so on, actually, event, there's a whole storyline about him befriending this cat. And he is also weirdly seeing visions of the dead girl, even though he never met the dead girl. But he has moved to this town and, like, had just heard of her and is hearing all these rumors about how she had no friends and was, like, very lonely. So he also sees, like, weird visions of the dead girl. But he, um, so Young Jay takes so on, ties him up on a tree in, like, this little island in the middle of, like, the big dam reservoir and essentially starts raising the water level in the dam area. And while he's doing that, he's essentially forcing Hyunsu, his father, to watch and is like, do you want to save your son and um, empty the floodgates of the dam and kill an entire village of people or do you want your son to die? There is a very long storyline about how Hyunsu does care very much so about his son, like that his like son means like the world to him, even though he is like incredibly mentally unstable and not that great of a father, he would essentially do anything for his son. So that's when he does indeed open the floodgates of the dam in order to save his son. While that's happening, he's got their mom tied up in a different area. And the mom, I think, is actually able to... She's able to free herself and fight back a little bit, except for I'm pretty sure she does end up succumbing to injuries. And she dies at that point in time, the mom. We find out that Young Jay is also suspected to be dead at having been killed in this entire flood event, although his body was never recovered. So he's kind of like I mean, mysteriously you know. in the void for a while. In the void. And so it's like, yeah, if you can't find the body, that's pretty water. pretty suspicious. So, in a fiction story, that always means they're alive. Yep, yep. That it's always Schrodinger's means they're alive. flood water. Exactly. They're, they're alive and in the water at the same time. Mm-hmm. Sungkwon actually, he ends up escaping the goons who took him goons. and then takes a boat out into the dam and saves um, Soan and the cat um, from the middle of the dam island. And this is why, like, the dam situation is very confusing to me. Because they're seemingly, like, it's seemingly not fully man-made and it's just, like, was, like, the structure was, like, constructed around a city that had, like, a little hill on the top. And how much of this little hill in the island you can see is depend. It's like how the people turn out, like, oh, how much of, like, rainfall we've had and stuff for, like, it's like weather predicting stuff or whatever. But I just, it's like so, I just haven't fully wrapped my head around how that entire situation works. And it's a very central plot of this book. And so after that all happens, Hyunsu gets convicted of both the murder of the girl and also the obliteration of this town pretty fast gets sent to prison and is on death row and then now if we skip back to the present seven years later where soan is reading this entire book of stuff that um sungwon has left for him he all of a sudden uh gets knocked out by some goons and gets kidnapped and then he wakes up we realize that this is the day um I think it's the day of or the day after his father has just gotten killed on death row. So his dad is dead officially at this point. Then he wakes up in a lighthouse. They've taken both him and Sungkwon. And then here comes Young Jay because of course he wasn't dead. And he was like, I have literally been plotting out my revenge for seven years from now because I wanted you to... I wanted your dad to go to prison and I also want to kill all of you, but I wanted you to have to know that your dad was dead first and so he was like first sabotaging first his dad life for dead. seven years following him around essentially Oof. forcing him out of all of his extended families houses and schools for seven years because he's a little psychopath wow. like that 
And then he's brought the two of them to this lighthouse. And he's like, and now it's finally time for me to finish all my long seven-year plan for revenge. And I'm just going to kill both of you now. Um, revenge. And I'm pretty sure he was going to put them both in a coffin and, like, tie, like, chains and rocks to it. And just, like, dump them in the ocean type of situation. At least he's got flair. Right. But he had to There's have, like, a whole there. villain monologue first because he's a little bit psychopathic. Yeah, and I love what, when people do villain monologues. Of course. No one has the thought of just kick him in the nuts and run. Right? Like, because he had to knock them both out first, wait for them to wake up, then give wake, a villain monologue. Then do the villain monologue. And then he and was going to murder kill them. them. Yes. Also, if they're about to die, why do they need to know your plan? I, they don't. They Clearly, they don't. But, you know, it's it's a little bit of the, I don't, the narcissism of it all, I guess. And so what ends up happening here is that um, Sengkwon, while writing this book, has been trying to contact uh, Young Jae's wife, who has fled, who has essentially fled to Paris and is living in Paris, which and is just like living away from him because she's like, I'm hoping to God he doesn't find me here, except for the fact that when she starts corresponding with Young Jae, because she is very. She very much would like to see her husband arrested and also doesn't want, like, he wants, she does, like, kind of want the whole story of this event to be known. Because while, yes, the, his other, his dad did open the floodgates, there's a lot of other situations happening around that. Um, it's kind of forced upon him. When she's corresponding with him, he finds out where she's at. So he shows up in Paris one day and is, like, threatening his wife again, doing all sorts of nonsense with that. But she ends up giving, um... Her phone number to Senkwan, who then, and then so on, ends up with it. And so while he's giving his big villain monologue, she's like, oh, I've been speaking to your wife and she's running away from you. And he's trying to pull some type of a card of, like, so anything really to distract him from not killing them in some amount of time. So she calls up the, he calls up the wife and the wife is taunting him with all sorts of, I don't know, like, just kind of useless things. And then eventually, um, the police arrive because Sungkwon has he kind of knew that this was going to happen. He was like this man is a psychopath. He's definitely plotting something for the day that this kid's dad is going to get executed. Like he is like and he was like it's so suspicious that we've been followed around all of these years by somebody. And he was on to the fact that he was pretty sure he was alive and it was him who was doing it. So once um Soan got the letter of, like, uh, from the prison saying, oh, your dad's execution has been carried out today. He went to the police, and the police have also kind of been reinvestigating this and been thinking it's a little bit suspicious, um, everything that was going on there. And they were able to sort of track down that he was not fully dead because he has other properties and all sorts of other bank accounts and shit like that that he's been living as, like, kind of a ghost for the last seven years. A ghost. <laughs> So he ends up, Sangwon gets with the police, essentially puts a tracker on his phone so they know where he is, and then they found out that the tracker hasn't moved in like two hours, and maybe they're stuck in this lighthouse, and he has them tied up in a lighthouse, and so eventually the police bust in, and they get it. And also, other, oh, I think that's why they, they, why they called the wife. They called the wife to get a confession of murder out of him. That's what it was. I was like, there, there was nothing more about that. So yeah, they got a recorded confession about all of the past events of the seven years, um, as well as him planning to murder the two of them, like, right now. And then that's sort of the end of it. I they, And then the book sort of just closes with him picking up his dad's body and giving him, like, a actual funeral and send-off. And 
like he's got a clearly complicated relationship with it but it's sort of coming to terms with like everything that has happened and then kind of putting behind him the sort of like ghost of an event that has been following him for like his entire life so that's essentially all of it it was very good i think it would make a great k-drama or like a movie or something it does scream k-drama energy like i can see it like if they want to put this as like um i don't think it can be a full like crime thriller but it can be like one of those like more periodic ones where they have like other things happening in between it yeah and this is like the sort of season long like plot line of it or something i think it'll be really good yeah i agree i think it could sound like that what a time so that's all been of these were books Books. That's been books. Books, books. All the books. 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 We can really tell we're more into the one genre than the other genre. Yeah. That's, it's, um, I, that, I, like, I don't, I, like I said, I don't read often. Most of the reading no. I've done in the past years has been literally for this podcast. But a lot I, of, most things I've done generally have been for this podcast. True. Most media I consume most is for media. this podcast. But um, with that being said, what I, occasionally when I do read books, I do read this genre of books. Yes. So. Yeah, for me, I don't Very go into fun. horror or thriller as much, but it's nice to try to push yourself out of your comfort area once in a while, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, this is one of those times, I'd say. So, yeah, and so these are... I this guess is support better. Asian and Asian-American authors. Woo, yes. We did it. There are good ones out there. There are many good ones out there. There are many good ones out there. It's just like, just because we're shitting on certain, it's mostly the K-pop elements of those yeah, other books that we're yeah. really shitting on. So. Yeah, the problem was never the writing. No. Nope, nope. So that's been our duology of uh, Asian book club. Basically. Yay. Yeah. This will not be a series. This, this will not be long. a series. We might read more books in the future, but it, if I'm being honest, it might be because they're bad. Uh, so it might. It could good be. Good chance yeah. could be because they're bad. Probably. Pretty good chance. Very good chance. Very good chance. Um, but we are available on all major podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We also have a YouTube channel. We post all of our episodes there along with fun clip videos occasionally as well. And with that, we will see you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.